loss prevention is a critically important topic. It impacts retailers to the tune of tens of billions of dollars in the U.S. alone each and every year. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and this week's episode is the launch of a two-part series on loss prevention as it relates to the retail industry. And to kick things off, I'm excited to be joined by Jack Britton, who is the Editorial Director at Loss Prevention Magazine. Hey, Jack, how are you? I'm terrific. How are you today? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. And I know our primary focus today is retail loss prevention strategies. But before we begin, can you just tell our listeners a bit about your career and background just to set the context? My career? Well, like most of those in loss prevention, I didn't begin my career with aspirations to be a a loss prevention professional. (laughs) In fact, I started my career as a law enforcement ranger with the National Park Service. Oh, wow. I worked here in Ohio at Cuyahoga Valley National Park. I helped put that park together. And I worked in the Great Smoky Mountains. It's very difficult to work in the parks and raise a family. At least it was back then. It was it was much more difficult. So I began my career in loss prevention. I worked my way up through several different organizations. I worked for different types of retailers. I spent a little time with grocery. I worked into some major department stores. I worked in discount department stores. I worked for a sporting goods chain, and I worked in specialty. Based on all those different things, I ended up getting hired by the top executive search firm in the country that deals with hiring the top professionals in loss prevention. Hmm. I did that. I ended up becoming the vice president of operations for that team and did that for 13, 14 years. And then I was hired by the industry to help write their certification programs, something called loss prevention certified, loss prevention qualified, uh, which is something that was put together by the Loss Prevention Foundation, which is a nonprofit group that puts together these trainings for the entire loss prevention industry. That's gone international. In the meantime, I was also hired by LP Magazine to write stories for the magazine and became their editorial director. And that's what led me to where I am today. Wow. Definitely a winding road, but that's very interesting and certainly a wealth of experience you bring to the table here. And some of our listeners really may be surprised to learn that there's an entire magazine dedicated to loss prevention. (laughs) So what can you share about your focus and why this is such an important topic? Well, loss prevention is a critically important topic. It impacts retailers to the tune of tens of billions of dollars in the U.S. alone each and every year. Wow. It's about much more than dealing with kids stealing bubble gum. I think that that's a picture that a lot of people have. There are all kinds of criminal enterprises that are involved that include theft, fraud, e-commerce, counterfeiting, organized retail crime, and cargo theft, just to name a few. But we also deal with many other forms of losses and protection issues. There are all types of losses that aren't theft-related that ended up falling on the responsibilities of the loss prevention team. 
Safety and risk management are often part of those responsibilities, along with crisis management, workplace violence, other issues. There are many crossover responsibilities that take place as well. You know, the role of loss prevention is to enhance the profitability of the business, just like every other role in retail. It's a different function, but ultimately, we all have the same goals. So yeah, that's what we do, and that's where our focus lies. Well, let's get into the challenges that we were going to talk about today. So the retail industry in general has endured quite a few major challenges over the past year. I'd say some serious convulsions and mostly stemming from the pandemic. Brick and mortar retailers have experienced everything from having to close up shop when the pandemic first began to just drastic changes in consumer spending, supply chain instability, and even civil unrest. So with all that in mind, what do you believe are the top challenges facing the retail industry today? Well, that's a loaded question. (laughs) I think that there are many of the issues that you mentioned that remain legitimate challenges today. I guess I would start by saying that retail has always been an extremely dynamic business. We rely heavily on the wants and needs of our customers and having to adjust on a regular and consistent basis to the needs of the business to keep the business viable. That's standard for retail. So Bottom line is, is we're used to adjusting. That's what we do. Of course, the pandemic response remains a primary challenge. While it seems now that there is light at the end of the tunnel, there still is quite a bit of uncertainty. I think many will make statements like, when things get back to normal, Mm. when they talk about what's going on out there, when in fact, I really don't think that what we're going to have moving forward is what we had in the past. We're going to have to adjust to a new normal. And some of the things that we deal with, we're never going to go back to the way we were before. This can be a good thing as well as a bad thing. You know, there are issues like travel that have come into play. You know, I think that that most people, when they look at things like loss prevention, they think of somebody that works in a single department store that walks around the store catching <laughs> shoplifters. Right. <laughs> and that's not really the way it works. I mean, you can have specialty teams where a single loss prevention person might be responsible for anywhere from three to 300 stores. Wow. And when you're dealing with that, you have different types of responsibilities. You know, travel obviously becomes a tremendous issue when you're trying to deal with those types of problems. You have store visit issues. You have training issues. You start to fall into an accountability issue because when you're talking about stores that might be six, eight, 10, 12 hours away, if you try to drive it, you know, you have people in those stores where their number one responsibility isn't necessarily loss prevention, it's making sales. Mm -hmm. So how do you get them to do the things that you want them to do and follow the different protocols that are necessary to keep the business running smoothly from that side of the business when you're not there all the time? And what you really have to do is come up with ways to make it important to them. And of course, this has just added to those challenges, the accountability piece. You know, you've also got new things like hazmat issues with with dealing with a lot more chemicals than we were in the past where we're trying to keep the stores safe and sanitized and so forth. So, you know, e-commerce has taken on a much bigger role with consumers not being able to spend so much time in the stores. They've taken a greater advantage of online marketplaces for their shopping needs. This has also led to all kinds of of loss prevention problems that you might not think about as much. You know, you have a lot of online fraud problems. You have identity theft issues. You know, those types of formats can also lend themselves to things like counterfeit merchandise. Mm. There's a lot of counterfeiters out there. And it also is a place where you have the selling of stolen merchandise through online fencing organizations. 
Right. There's a lot of those types of challenges that the LP teams are dealing with a lot more. And of course, we then have organized retail crime. Many have said that the pandemic has basically created a perfect storm for the organized retail crime team. See, you know, a lot of the stores were limited. A lot of the stores were closed. You had critical businesses that remained open. But from a theft standpoint, those folks that are out there that are professional thieves that are stealing for their livelihood, they didn't stop because a particular store wasn't open to them. They just moved to a different retailer. Yeah, they adapted. So, yeah, they, they adapted big time. And mm. you've really seen a lot of these organizations take on a whole new role. Uh, they've grown. They've Some of them have become much more complicated. Some of them have become much more dangerous. They don't let the folks in the store stop them. They, they also understand that in the stores, the store associates have certain limitations. The store right. loss prevention teams have certain limitations. These organized retail crime teams understand those limitations, and they push the limits. So, for example, we're not allowed to chase people out of the stores. In some stores, you're not allowed to touch anybody. You know, there, there are a lot of different rules that come into play as you're trying to protect your resources. Just to follow up on that, I've heard, too, that some cities even, they just say, we're not going to prosecute theft for up to X amount of hundreds of dollars. So that just emboldens people to come in and steal right up to that amount. And they they just, they're emboldened because they know they're not going to get prosecuted. That's exactly right. There's, there's certain cities across the country that won't respond. They simply mm. won't come to the stores. You also have certain areas of the country where they've made shoplifting, what they call shoplifting, a much less serious crime. Right. People don't go to jail for it. You, could, you, you have a lot of these folks that are arrested and they're back out on the streets in an hour. Doing it again. So, yeah. And, you know, there's really no incentives in a lot of these cases for them not to steal and not right. to take advantage. It's led to some monster cases. Wow. Well, would you say that loss prevention teams have gotten more investment and taken on a bigger role in retail organizations since the pandemic began? Or are they simply trying to make do and get by with the resources they already had in place pre-COVID? Well, the answer to that question actually is both. They have taken on a, a bigger role in some companies. I guess, you know, we have to understand that every company has its own culture. Sure. And every company has its own way of doing things. But Based on everything that's happened in the last year, everybody's taken on new and important responsibilities, and, and the loss prevention teams are no different. They're no exception. Of course, the extent of these responsibilities largely depended on the particular retail. Frankly, while these retailers have always had crisis response teams, the pandemic has posed you know, new and unique challenges that none of us have ever seen before. Yeah. Many of those responsibilities fell into the lap of the LP teams, largely due to their experience dealing with various crisis situation. Some issues you might not even think about, like there's the BOPIS, the buy online, pick up in the store. That sounds like it's very convenient for the shoppers, and it is, but it could also lead to some serious loss prevention concerns when you've got employees going in and out of the store and loading uh, products yeah. into people's cars. Yep. You know, then of course, you know, we usually are the folks that end up dealing with things like social distancing with the contract tracing, even things like merchandising and the way the stores are merchandised now is much different. And that's going to change as well. And I think it's going to stay that way. Wow. But, you know, just like every aspect of society, the pandemic has forced us to stretch our budgets. 
you know, the stores were closed. A lot of stores were closed last year. And, you know, that has put a lot of stress on retailers and the way that we manage our businesses. Of course, retailers are going to place their resources in areas that are seen as a priority. And I think we can all agree that the COVID crisis fits that picture pretty well. But dollars are still limited. And every aspect of the business has been forced to reevaluate their priorities and their resources for the greater good, looking at the way that they do things while trying to remain consistent and within a particular budget. So it's a mix and it, it, it's something that everybody's faced with. And I think a lot of the teams have, have really done a good job trying to balance those differences. So. Well, to shift topics just a little bit, let's talk about civil unrest. Last year, the news was, as everyone knows, just inundated with stories about protests, some of which turned violent, resulting in things like looting, destruction of property, and worse, a lot of times focused on very big name brands and stores. So can you talk about some of the safety challenges that retailers face that impacted both their people and their businesses when all this was going down? You know, many retailers have exercises and crisis task force and so forth that, that help them prepare for these situations. But when you think about when things happened, there are often incidents that are beyond our expectations and our control. A lot of these things are things that fall under the responsibility of the ALP teams. For example, you have active shooter training and those types of programs that we put people through to help them better understand what the situation's about and how they should respond. A lot of people don't know this, but in a lot of situations, when you have those active shooter situations, first of all, they take place typically within six minutes. Mm. So if you look at responding to those types of things, have law enforcement or other emergency response teams respond and show up in those stores, usually it's it's done before right. they get there. And a lot of folks freeze when they're dealt with those situations. So, you know, you have the classes, and I'm sure most of your audience have heard things like run, hide, fight, yep. you know, things like that, that, that we learn to deal with. There's all different types of emergency response training programs that we try to put our teams through to help deal with those types of things. De-escalation training mm -hmm. is another big one right now, dealing with, you know, the types of situations that are happening in the stores. You know, you, you'll have situations today where People are supposed to wear masks. For whatever reason, there are folks out there that have decided they don't want to wear a mask. In most of your stores, you know, we have policies, you know, whether they're state policies or, or company policies that guide how many folks are allowed in the stores, social distancing issues, wearing masks. But there's still those folks that decide not to follow those policies. They don't want to wear a mask. Right or they refuse to allow their mask to cover their nose, for example. While you might not necessarily have the retailer challenge them, you'll have other customers mm. challenge them in That's a lot of situations. That's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. And, you know, it, it can cause some real situations in the stores. And those are all the types of things that we have to make sure that the stores learn to deal with. Well, I know there's never enough training that people can go through, but would you say in general, are you seeing stores spending more time with their associates, training them on things like de-escalation and what to do if there's an active shooter and how to deal with protests and things like that? That has absolutely been the case over the last several years. Okay. You'll have the majority, I think, of retail organizations have dedicated resources to just those things because of the different types of things that have happened out there. What are a couple examples of how retailers have adapted or how they've applied what they've learned over the last year or a couple of years to their loss prevention strategies in general? 
Well, let me give you a couple examples. We spent a little bit of time talking about organized retail crime. In one situation here, we had a team that dedicated, because of, of the way you know everybody was responding to the pandemic, a lot of them weren't capable of going into the stores. They were forced to work from home. Yep. They were going through cameras, the camera systems, and looking at video of different things that were happening in the stores and trying to identify different individuals that were coming in and stealing in the stores. They were developing relationships with the local police teams who were also put in situations where they were restricted, but they were able to take advantage of that time and learn to manage that time in a much different way. And through that, what they were able to do is build some pretty significant cases. There was a case this past fall in the California market, primarily in the San Francisco area, where they were able to uncover a $90 million organized retail crime case. Wow. I can tell you that right now, without giving you a whole lot of information, there's one going on right now that's bigger than that. Unbelievable. That's based on these things. It's just hard to fathom because you just think, oh, well, that's like a $50 pair of pants or a $100 shirt or a you know $3,000 TV. How can it add up to 90 million bucks? That's unbelievable. That's sophisticated. It's very sophisticated. And, and it's a lot of times it's things that you might not think about. You know, there are certain pharmaceutical products that you can buy off the shelf that can be used to make narcotic drugs. Yeah, I mean, the old Sudafed, right? It's behind, exactly. behind the counter now. Yeah. yeah. You, you also have, you know, things that we use on a regular basis that you might not think about. Tide, okay? Detergent, diapers, really? baby formula, things that people need on a regular and consistent basis, batteries. Wow. You know, there, there are things like that. There are products like that that you don't think about that are small, that are easy to conceal, that you can typically get in large numbers, and you could sell them very quickly. Mm. You know, a lot of them are sold at marketplaces that many of us frequent on a regular basis. A lot of them are sold online through the marketplaces that we've talked about. Some of them are even repackaged and sold back to retailers. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Unbelievable. Wow. Well, crystal ball time, if you could gaze into the future, what does the rest of this year, and then I, I would say beyond, look like for the retail industry? And do you think loss prevention will continue to play such a pivotal role? Absolutely. I think the past year has shown us that we need to be more aware and expect the unexpected. I think that we seem to be turning a corner right now, but there's also growing concern about new variants. You know, there are concerns that too many might consider the vaccines as a cure-all and might respond too aggressively to these changes as a result, might relax too much. But I, I think that, you know, what we have to do as an industry is temper some of the expectations. We have to maintain the controls. We have to continue to push awareness training and education. I also think we've learned some tremendous lessons that I think will help us move forward. The use of technology has always been something that we've embraced as an industry. And I think that, you know, you're going to continue to see some tremendous strides that come in the use of technology, both from a, a retail perspective in general and on the loss prevention side. I think we've all learned to be much more flexible in the way that we approach everything. You know, the pandemic drove more interaction between leaders within an organization. 
you know, you have loss prevention working with human resources and operations and IT and, and all these different areas of the business, which, which is what they've always done in the past. But I think in a much more consistent way, you're seeing those partnerships work to the advantage of the companies. They've, they've learned to manage that much better. I think that you're going to see a lot more remote working. I think that office areas are going to change. Right. And I think that things like cleaning and sanitizing are going to be here to stay. In addition to understanding that we have to keep people safe, I think that there's also an understanding that there's an obligation to help keep people healthy. And, you know, I, I really believe that that part of it is something that's going to stick with us. Well, we like to end each episode by giving our audience just a, a piece of advice or a practical tip that they can immediately implement to make an impact on their organization. So what can the audience do today, in your opinion, to help improve their company's overall safety culture or business continuity efforts? Well, of course, with some of the things that I did, I mentioned that I worked on the industry certifications. And so I'm obviously a huge advocate of the idea of continuing education. Yeah. You know, I really believe that all of us have become much more attuned to everything that's going out there and be much more willing to educate ourselves and move ourselves forward, whether it's a formal form of education like these certifications that we have, or whether it's even uses resources like the magazine and reading up on the different things that happened out there or listening to things like this podcast and some of the different nuances that we're all dealing with on a, a regular and consistent basis. I think that all of us need to learn the importance of being flexible and being open to learn. That is something that has to take place if we're going to survive, if we're going to continue to move down the right path. Yeah. Learning never stops. That's very valid advice. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate all of your time and expertise. And if anyone out there listening has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you, what is the best way for them to find you out there? Sure. There's, there's a couple of ways. You can visit a loss prevention magazine or LP magazine. That's at www.losspreventionmedia.com. Or you can reach out to me directly. My email is Jack. B, which is J-A-C-B at LPPortal.com. And I welcome any questions or any feedback from anybody. Wonderful. Well, thanks again so much for joining us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And then for everyone else out there, we hope you'll join us next week for part two of our loss prevention series. We'll all be joined by Chris Hinger, who's the Director of Loss Prevention at Warby Parker. In the meantime, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency, so communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. 
Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.